of America. Friends, we can all listen to the sunny side of sports. Great show, bro. This is sunny side of sports. Right here on the Voice of America. Voice of America. Sporty greetings to all our Voice of America listeners. This is VOA's Sonny Young in Washington. Welcome to the October 27th edition of the sunny side of sports. Ladies first on Thursday's show. Reigning African champion South Africa has been drawn into a very difficult group. Yes, what some are calling a group of death at next year's Women's World Cup football tournament in Australia and New Zealand. The South African squad, nicknamed Banyana Banyana, will play against the world's second-ranked team, Sweden. Top European side, Italy, And -and up-and-coming Argentina, all much higher than the South African women in the current FIFA World Rankings. Darren Taylor has reaction for us now from South Africa's head coach and a top South African football official. If the South Africans are daunted by the challenge that awaits them in July and August next year, they aren't showing it. After the draw... Banyana Banyana coach Desiree Ellis described it as reasonable, saying it could have been tougher. These sentiments were echoed by Vice President of the South African Football Association, Natasha Chiklas, during an online conference with journalists. All the teams are very strong. Yes, we do have two European sides. I think Sweden, uh, in my opinion, are stronger than Italy. At the moment, Argentina is number 29 in FIFA range, so, you know, not too bad. Don't forget, with champions of Africa, other countries after the draw, they're talking about South Africa as well. And uh, we are very strong uh, opponent to any other country. Banyana, ranked 48th in the latest FIFA rankings, have beaten the best in Africa but they've never been victorious against the world's truly top teams, although they earned a creditable 0-0 draw against Sweden in 2019. Later that year, Banyana failed to make it out of the group stage at their maiden World Cup held in France. Brazil hammered them in two friendly matches recently, Banyana losing 3-0 and 6-0. Chikla says those results don't worry her. We went to a very deep waters, and that was very clever. When I monitor and I look again and again the game, especially the first game, I think the result could have been different. We could have at least scored two goals. Okay, we learned a lot from that. The South African women also recently lost 4-1 to Australia, another of the world's leading sides. Chekla says she and her fellow officials are purposefully pairing Banyana with some of the globe's strongest teams in friendlies to prepare them for the 2023 tournament. She believes the squad's currently missing a few key elements, including greater confidence and superior fitness. We have the skills, we have the knowledge as a team. 
I think we need to rejuvenate quicker, faster, also to score the opportunities. We must take, uh, you know, our chances and score. We have to play with the best. In the end of the day, we need strong opponents in order for us to fix whatever we need to. We are very strong, but we have to believe. We, I mean, we are. We are the best in Africa. But also we have to start behave like this as well. Chikla says she doesn't want to stick her neck out too far by trying to predict Banyana Banyana's performance at the World Cup. But she emphasizes that does not mean she's not optimistic. We do have a, a great opportunity to go further. It's our time now. To make sure of getting out of their group next year, Banyana are probably going to have to beat either Sweden or Italy, and the Argentina game is a must-win. It's a long shot. Sweden have pedigree, consistently making quarterfinals and semifinals and being runners-up in 2003. Italy have reached the quarterfinals twice. Africa's other representatives at the tournament are Morocco, Nigeria and Zambia. In the group stage, Morocco have Germany, Colombia and Korea Republic. Nigeria could also struggle to get past the group stage, having drawn Australia, Ireland and Canada. On paper, Zambia appear to have the best chance of making the knockout phase, having to contend with Costa Rica, Spain and Japan in Group C. At this stage, according to pundits and the FIFA rankings, Favourites to capture the trophy will be multiple world champions, the United States, with England, Sweden, France, Germany and the Netherlands also strong contenders. Bookmakers and experts aren't giving a team from Africa much hope at all. Chiglas says she hopes other nations at the World Cup follow their lead because the more under the radar the African teams stay, the greater the possibility of them pulling off major upsets. For the sunny side of sports, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg. Sporty greetings. This is Namsham Pelo, media officer of Banyana Banyana of South Africa. You are listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. Colombia will play defending champion Spain in Sunday's final at the FIFA Under-17 Women's World Cup football tournament in India. Also Sunday, Nigeria will play Germany in the third-place match. In semifinal results Wednesday, Spain beat Germany 1-0 on a late goal by Lucia Corrales. And Colombia edged Nigeria on penalty kick 6-5 after a scoreless draw in regulation and extra time. For reaction to Nigeria's loss, Iron Mike Mbonye spoke with a board member of the Nigeria Women Football League, Joe Amene. Some of us are not really disappointed about the outcome of today's match between the Colombian side and the and our under-17, the Flamingos. Uh, uh, principally, I wouldn't even expect to get to this level because we've um, made history already by getting to the semifinals. All the same, uh, naturally, if you get to this stage, you also expect that you get to the finals. But then, they, didn't, they were not disgraced 
penalty shootout, not naturally, it's a game of luck. You can see at the tail end of the match, when it came to penalty shootouts, we all almost had it. But then luck was not on our side, and the last kick by Edafe hit the post. That was out. The moment it happened, I knew that something was going to was actually wrong. Uh, we was actually lost because the other players were somehow reluctant uh, to come out and play. It's like the our coach. They just were very particular about the five that would take the first, the first kick. You know, they didn't have plan B of uh, those in the event that they still made to keep on keeping on, you know, to prepare the other players, give them the courage, you know, to go on. So after the last, after we lost, after Edafe lost, you can see the, even the sixth person who, you know, even though she scored, but uh, she was locked in to come up. However, I think it was a good display. We had control of the match in the first half, and the Colombians came back really fighting. They, 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 Pile pressure on our on our team in the all through the second half. We did our best save for one or two slips from the defense. We'll have had our day, but all in all, it was a good fight. I am impressed with the girls. They have the potential to go beyond this, and I'm happy that some of us who have been in the women football development in Nigeria, we are getting it so good. You know, me, I spent some time in the Premier League, in the male division, before coming down to the female league. And I'm happy that we've really put in our efforts under the Adene leadership of uh, Aisha Falode. Uh, we did our best to shine shine the eyes of, of, of the young girls. Now they are not causing waves in the whole continent. Now they have caused the waves in the whole world. So I think I'm impressed. My reaction to it is that Nigeria really did their best, hopefully in the top place match. We'll get it right. Do you see potentials or talents in the under-17 team capable of playing for the Super Falcons in future? You can see we now have the potential of these girls growing up. I I see in the next in next in next maybe next World Cup, the entire setup of the, of the Super Falcons will face out, and these young talents in combination with the under-20 will be the crops of the, the entire national team, Super Falcons. Then and then, they will, the courage will be there, the sagacity will be there. They have the courage, they have the drive to really rule the world. So I see Nigeria actually uh, doing very well in future. There are some good girls that play today. I can I can identify one, two, three, four, well, about five of them who have the potential of going further. And if you join them with those who actually created waves in the under 20, you now see for you cannot bear witness that in the next four years, next four, next one call, next World Cup, Nigeria will really rule the world. Honestly, I, we're not just talking about Africa again, because we are now daring the world and we're going to take control and take over. Joe, what's your assessment of women football in Nigeria? Do you think Nigeria has capacity to do well in future national and international games? So that is my stake. As far as I'm concerned, women football in Nigeria that is developing fast. Luckily for us, the current president of Nigeria NFA, the NFA, Alaj Ibrahim Guzo, he has very good passion for female football in Nigeria. So we're happy he is there now. He will do his best, humanly, piloting humanly possible to ensure at the end of the day, female football will rule Nigeria and rule Africa and nay the world. 
So I'm happy that we came up this lane. I'm happy that we've succeeded to this thing. I'm sure by in the third place match, we'll clinch the bronze and come back with something to present to Nigerians. And I'm happy and I'm excited for today's game. That's Joe Amene, a board member of the Nigeria Women Football League. And Joe spoke with Iron Mike Mbonye on the telephone from Onisha, Nigeria. Sporting greetings. This is Joe Amene, board member of the Nigerian Women Football League. You are listening to the Sunny Side of Sports on the Voice of America. sunny side of sports on Facebook and Twitter. My Facebook address is facebook.com forward slash VOA sunny. And my Twitter handle is at VOA sunny sports. Sunny side of sports programming note. My VOA colleague, Action Jackson Vunganyi, will be hosting the Sunny Side of Sports on Friday, October 28th, and again on Monday, October 31st. Check out your favorite VOA programs and much more at voaafrica.com. And for world news, go to voanews.com. September was a sad month for tennis fans. Two of the sport's all-time greats, Roger Federer and Serena Williams, both announced their retirements. Between them, Roger and Serena won 43 Grand Slam singles titles. Roger Federer won 20, and Serena won 23. In this sunny side of sports highlight for 2022, let's listen in to Roger Federer's retirement announcement. To my tennis family and beyond. Of all the gifts that tennis has given me over the years, the greatest, without a doubt, has been the people I've met along the way. My friends, my competitors, and most of all the fans who give the sport its life. Today, I want to share some news with all of you. As many of you know, the past three years have presented me with challenges in the form of injuries and surgeries. I've worked hard to return to full competitive form, but I also know my body's capacities and limits and its message to me lately has been clear. 
I am 41 years old. I've played more than 1,500 matches over 24 years. Tennis has treated me more generously than I ever would have dreamt. And now I must recognize when it is time to end my competitive career. I will play more tennis in the future, of course, but just not in Grand Slams or on the tour. This is a bittersweet decision because I will miss everything the tour has given me. But at the same time, there is so much to celebrate. I consider myself one of the most fortunate people on earth. I was given a special talent to play tennis and I did it at a level that I never imagined for much longer than I ever thought possible. I would like to especially thank my amazing wife, Mirka, who has lived through every minute with me. She has warmed me up before finals, watched countless matches even while over eight months pregnant and has endured my goofy side on the road with my team for over 20 years. I also want to thank my four wonderful children for supporting me, always eager to explore new places and creating wonderful memories along the way. Seeing my family cheering me on from the stands is a feeling I will cherish forever. I would also like to thank and recognize my loving parents, my dear sister, without whom nothing would be possible. A big thank you to all my former coaches who always guided me in the right direction. You have been wonderful. And to Swiss Tennis, who believed in me as a young player and gave me an ideal start. I really want to thank and acknowledge my amazing team. Ivan, Danny, Roland, and particularly Seve and Pierre, who have given me the best advice and have always been there for me. Also, Tony, for creatively managing my business for over 17 years. You are all incredible, and I've loved every minute with you. I want to thank my loyal sponsors, who are really like partners to me, and the hardworking teams and tournaments on the ATP Tour who consistently welcomed all of us with kindness and hospitality. I would also like to thank my competitors on the court. I was lucky enough to play so many epic matches that I will never forget. We battled fairly, with passion and intensity, and I always tried my best to respect the history of the game. I feel extremely grateful. We pushed each other and together we took tennis to new levels. Above all, I must offer a special thank you to my unbelievable fans. You will never know how much strength and belief you have given me. The inspiring feeling of walking into full stadiums and arenas has been one of the huge thrills in my life. Without you, those successes would have felt lonely rather than filled with joy and energy. The last 24 years on tour have been an incredible adventure. While it sometimes feels like it went by in 24 hours, it has also been so deep and magical that it seems as if I've already lived a full lifetime. I've had the immense fortune to play in front of you in over 40 different countries. I have laughed and cried, felt joy and pain, and most of all, I have felt incredibly alive. Through my travels, I've met many wonderful people who will remain friends for life, who consistently took time out of their busy schedules to come and watch me play and cheer me on around the globe. Thank you. When my love of tennis started, I was a ball kid in my hometown of Basel. I used to watch the players with a sense of wonder. They were like giants to me, and I began to dream. My dreams led me to work harder, and I started to believe in myself. Some success brought me confidence, and I was on my way to the most amazing journey that has led to this day. So I want to thank you all from the bottom of my heart to everyone around the world who has helped make the dreams of a young Swiss ball kid come true. Finally, to the game of tennis, I love you and will never leave you. Roger Federer won five of his 20 Grand Slam singles titles at the U.S. Open in New York. Not far from that venue, 
are perhaps some less glamorous tennis courts where African-American players have developed their skills. Aaron Raynan reports from New York City. For three weeks every summer, the elite tennis world gathers in Flushing, New York for the U.S. Open. A few miles away stand the Lincoln Terrace Park tennis courts, where players, most of them African-American, have built their skills in the shadow of one of the sport's four Grand Slam tournaments. Since the 1960s, these 11 courts have offered a sanctuary from racism and an opportunity for African-Americans to build a community of tennis enthusiasts. This is a social community, so we like to talk. And we brought food, and we sit over there on the bleachers, and we socialize, and we play tennis. To me, this is home. Well, I've been coming here for a few years now, and I think I just love the community. I love being able to see people that look like me. Like, representation is great. These players compete on rugged courts with a subway train line that runs right alongside it, challenging the concentration of any competitor. On a recent Saturday afternoon, a dozen people were hitting balls in the hot sun. Before I was born, these courts were here. It's like a stable of the the neighborhood. And I guess we're that back in the days before my time and when I was younger, this was one of the places that a lot of African-Americans can play and feel safe without being discriminated. It is tennis communities like this that were inspired more than a half century ago by some of the earliest African-American tennis champions, including the 1957 U.S. Open champion, Althea Gibson. Althea and Arthur Ashe. Althea actually first, because she was before Arthur Ashe, and they opened up the tennis world to to, to let blacks know that this is you can do this from them came serena and venus and althea gibson's success has opened up doors for the lincoln terrace tennis academy to open up opportunities for african-american youth but more importantly for them to see this as a possibility for a career path many also credit serena and venus williams for keeping the balls bouncing at these courts I believe, yes, before Serena and Venus, this place existed. It was always great, but with them being in the picture of becoming great tennis players, it also helped this neighborhood and the tennis community, both her and her sister, help popularize tennis and took it to another level. One wonders if the next African-American tennis superstar may already be practicing here at Lincoln Terrace Park Tennis Courts. Aaron Raynan for VOA News, New York City. Hi, I'm Francis Tiafo. You're listening to Sunny Side of Sports on Voice of America. Maxwell, host of Music Time in Africa. Join me every Saturday and Sunday for an hour of awesome African music. music. Like to stay on top of new music trends? Breakout artists? New releases? Maybe you just love the classic styles and artists of the past. Or simply the sound and feel of a good beat. 
whatever your pleasure, you can get it every week right here on Music Time in Africa. So join me on your local FM station Saturdays and Sundays at 1500 and 2000 UTC. Thanks, Heather. I'm VOA's Sonny Young in Washington, and you're listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. In pro basketball, Cameroonian stars Pascal Siakam and Joel Embiid played against each other Wednesday night in Toronto, Canada. Siakam and the Toronto Raptors were victorious over Embiid and the Philadelphia 76ers. We'll hear from Siakam in this report from the AP's Dave Ferry. Gary Trent Jr. scored a season-high 27 points, and Pascal Siakam had a double-double as the Raptors dealt the 76ers their fourth loss in five games this season, 119-109. Siakam delivered 20 points and matched a career high with 13 assists while playing against Joel Embiid. I'm always going to gonna, you know, go out for my respect. Like, that's it. Like, you know, I put the work in, and... um. And, and, yeah, I'm never going back down from anybody. He was 4 of 8 from three-point range, while Trent was 5 for 10. Toronto was 16 of 37 from beyond the arc overall. And Bede and Tyrese Maxey each scored 31 points for the Sixers. I'm Dave Ferry. Sporty greetings. This is Masai Ujiri, the president of Toronto Raptors Basketball, president of Giants of Africa Foundation. You are listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. And I know Masai Ujiri must be delighted with the way Pascal Siakam is playing right now. Raptors guard Gary Trent Jr. says he loves seeing his teammates Siakam play at a high level. Makes everybody else's job easier, you know. He, like I said, he's getting a lot of attention. He put in the work. You can see it. He's showing it every game. He's showing improvement. So we're going to continue to keep steamrolling and keep rolling as much as we can. Now let's go to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where Giannis Antetokounmpo and the Milwaukee Bucks rolled over the Brooklyn Nets. The AP's Chuck Freeman reports from Milwaukee. Giannis Antetokounmpo powered the Bucks back from a 12-point halftime deficit to beat the Nets 110-99. Antetokounmpo erupted after a quiet beginning of the game. He had 34 of his 43 in the second half. The first half wasn't good for me, wasn't good for the team, but I wanted, personally, the team wanted to have a better second half, and we were able to go out there and do it. Antetokounmpo was on fire, mostly from short range, missed just two of his 15 shots in the second half. As the Bucks stayed unbeaten at 3-0, Kevin Durant had 33 for the Nets, who are 1-3. Chuck Freeman, Milwaukee. Hi, this is Larry London, the host of VOA's Border Crossings, where we feature music and interviews along with your favorite artists from around the world. Tune in and interact live with us here in Washington, D.C. Hello, Shirin. Hello, Larry. How are you? Good. How are you tonight? Border Crossings comes to you Monday through Friday at 1500 UTC GMT. Thanks, Larry. That's Larry London, a man who's always ready to cross musical borders. This is the voice of America. Washington, D.C. I'm VOA's Sonny Young in Washington, and you're listening to the sunny side of sports. On the voice 
of America. In African athletics, the energetic Andy Edwards is in Germany for coverage of Sunday's Frankfurt Marathon. Andy reports Frankfurt will feature a very strong women's field led by the Kenyan Sally Kaptich and Hela Kiprop and Ethiopia's Yeshi Shikole. Kaptich has the fastest marathon personal best in the women's field in Frankfurt with a time of two hours, 21 minutes and nine seconds. Elsewhere, Kenya's world record holder in the marathon, Elliot Kipchoge, says he could compete in two big marathons over the 2023-2024 marathon season. The Kenyan star says, and I quote, two marathon majors, New York and Boston, are on my to-do list. I want to compete in those races as I prepare for the 2024 Olympic Games in France. And Kipchoge adds, it's still early in the season, but things will get clearer next year, and then I can know exactly where I will be competing. And I certainly hope we'll see Elliot Kipchoge on the starting line to defend his Olympic marathon gold medal in Paris in 2024. And that wraps up the October 27th edition of the show. Thank you for tuning in. I'm VOA's Sonny Young in Washington, and that's the sunny side of sports. I get it.